Chapter forty of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Above the Clouds or Nature and Man in the Heart of the Himalaya Mountains. We shall now leave the hot lowlands of India for a trip among the Himalayas. The word Himalaya means the abode of snow, and the tops of these mountains are crowned with perpetual frost. They are the highest of all mountains, and the tallest of their peaks have never been reached by man. That of Mount Everest is farther above sea level than any other place upon earth. It is more than 29,000 feet high, over twice as high as Fujiyama, the sacred snow-capped mountain of Japan, and more than a mile above the altitude of Aconcagua, the tallest of the Andes. It is more than 9,000 feet above the height of Mount McKinley, the highest peak on the North American continent, and more than two miles higher than Mont Blanc, the tallest of the Alps. The Himalayas have scores of peaks, each of which has an altitude far greater than Mount Blanc, and at least forty which rise more than one mile higher than that famous monarch of the Alps. Indeed, it is said that you could drop the whole Alpine range into some of the valleys of the Himalayas, and at a distance of ten miles, there would be no perceptible change in the scenery. We have read much about the glaciers of Switzerland. The Himalayas have moving fields of solid ice from 30 to 60 miles in length, and one of them, 33 miles long, lies between two mountains, each of which is more than five miles in height. The Himalaya Mountains and the Hindu Kush, which is the name of the same chain farther west, extend in the shape of a double wall upholding a wide irregular trough or valley clear along the northern boundary of hindustan the southern side of this wall rises steeply from the plains to a height of almost four miles and the average width of the whole is about as great as the distance between new york and washington while its length is equal almost to the distance between new york and denver it is this mighty wall and its location which makes these mountains the father of india this wall is intensely cold and as the warm winds loaded with the moisture of the indian ocean strike against it the moisture condenses and falls as rain creating the great rivers which water and feed the vast plains below there is no place upon earth which has a heavier rainfall than some parts of the himalayas in several places forty or fifty feet of water fall every twelve months the great plain of india which is so level that one can travel upon it from one side of hindustan to the other without seeing a hill is composed of the earth washings brought down by these rivers so that the himalayas have really built up the country the rivers are engaged in a similar work now at certain times of the year the indus the brahmaputra and the ganges are loaded with silt which by the irrigating canals is spread over lands making them produce as abundantly as the valley of the nile which is coated with a somewhat similar soil brought down from the mountains of abyssinia the scenery of these mountains is unlike that of the rockies the andes or the alps the himalayas lie almost on the edge of the tropics and the moisture rising from the plains and swept in by the winds from the indian ocean gives them a thousand clouds where the alps have one as we travel over them or climb about their rocky recesses we see masses of vapor 
of all sizes and shapes chasing each other over the hills at a distance of two miles above the sea the clouds crawl to our very feet up the steep sides of the valleys they wrap themselves around us and for a few moments the mist is so thick that we cannot see the heads of the horses upon which we are riding a moment later it is quite clear the clouds have passed onward and are losing themselves among the snows higher up during our travels in the himalayas we frequently have clouds both above and below us here they nestle in the hollows in the sides of the mountains looking almost like men who have sat down for a rest there they appear to have taken the forms of beasts and in single file race through the air in the morning the sun gilds the clouds so that they become masses of fire and at night the moon turns them to odd creatures of silver and gold at daybreak the valleys are filled with mist and we seem to be standing above an ocean of ice as we look the sun rises it kisses the peaks and the snow shines forth in all the colors and tints of the rainbow the place where we shall visit these wonderful mountains is at darjeeling a large village situated about a mile and a half above the level of the sea and under some of the highest of the himalaya peaks the climate there is cold although it is not very far north of calcutta from where we start for the hills we ride over the tropical plains on the railroad and as the land rises dash into jungles containing great thickets of bamboos and hundreds of banyan trees which send scores of sprouts down from their limbs into the earth and make the jungle almost impenetrable there are thousands of curious plants poisonous vines and great trees forming a vegetation so thick that we can see only a few steps from the train through the green these jungles are the home of the tiger and as we pass through them we may perhaps see the bright eyes of this fierce beast staring out of the darkness at the foot of the mountains we take a little narrow-gauge railroad that carries us up to darjeeling its track is only two feet wide and it curves in and out among the trees like a snake our motive power is a small steam engine which takes us upward more than a thousand feet every hour there are a dozen horseshoe curves to the mile there are numerous loops and we cross our track again and again in making the gradual slope which will permit of our being moved farther on up into the clouds at times we skirt precipices covered with green down which out of the car windows we can look for a thousand feet and we climb along the sides of the mountains above valleys that fade away into the broad plains of bengal we soon leave the jungle and enter a region of huge forest trees some of which are two hundred feet high they are clothed with a luxuriant growth of moss and ferns and orchids of many beautiful colors and shapes are fastened to their trunks or hang down from their branches farther on we observe the tree fern whose tall round trunk is from ten to twenty feet long with immense fern leaves jutting out at the top like the fronds of a palm the air is full of moisture and the vegetation though not so thick as in the jungle below is luxuriant as we rise higher still the color of the moss on the trees changes from green to frosted silver it is now somewhat like the spanish moss of our southern states it covers their limbs like a coat and hangs from their branches in clusters turning the woods into a forest of green dusted with silver 
at about a mile above the plains it is so much cooler that trees similar to those of our american mountains are growing in the villages roses are blooming and on the sides of the hills are immense tea gardens much like some we saw in japan the tea plant grows wild in parts of the himalayas its natural home is said to be assam one of the northeastern provinces of india where travelers say it sometimes reaches the size of a large tree it is supposed that the plant was taken from there into china from where it was carried further on to japan until within a few years by far the greater part of the tea of commerce was produced in china and japan the british however have established tea plantations in india and they are now raising vast crops of excellent leaves the tea they produce is shipped to all parts of the world and fully one-third of all the tea sent to europe and the united states is raised here moreover a great deal of tea is grown in ceylon so that india may now be called the most productive of all the tea countries the united states uses millions of pounds of indian teas and even now while in imagination we are away out here in the tea fields our parents may be drinking an infusion made from the leaves which last year grew on these very bushes we pass a number of villages on our way up the mountains and meet curious people at each stop of the train among them are the lepchas natives with faces not unlike those of our indians they are short and broad-chested with big calves and long arms they have copper-colored skins and thick coal-black hair which hangs in long plates or braids down their backs both sexes wear robes of striped coarse cotton cloth which fall below their knees leaving their arms free during the rainy season the lepchas put on high boots of deerskin as a protection from the terrible leeches that are then found in the mountains these leeches are bloodsuckers and they will fasten themselves to any part of your body they have been known to live for days in the jaws nostrils and stomachs of human beings causing dreadful suffering and death like the women of the other tribes of the himalaya mountains the lepchas are fond of ornaments of all kinds we see girls who have bracelets of silver covering their arms from their wrists to their elbows some have heavy rings of gold and silver about their ankles and flat pieces of gold tied to their ears not a few have jeweled buttons fastened in the flesh of their noses the bhutanese another hill tribe look not unlike the lepchas and dress much the same except that they paint their faces with a sort of brown varnish nearly every bhutanese woman wears on her person the greater part of her fortune she may have beads of coral and turquoise bound round her head and earrings of gold so heavy that they pull down the lobes of her ears even the poorest have jewelry of brass or stone if they cannot afford silver or gold the himalayan women are strong we see them digging in the fields and working like men little girls go along with big baskets tied to their backs and the older women thus carry loads of grain and other things even to the dirt used in fixing the roads sometimes a mother has her baby tied to her back arriving at darjeeling we are met at the station by rosy-cheeked girls who offer to take our baggage up to the hotel we hesitate to let girls act as our beasts of burden but finally consent whereupon each maiden picks up a trunk weighing perhaps two hundred pounds and trots off with it up the hill the charge for the load is an amount equal 
to about five cents of our money the men of the himalayas are as strong as the women although they work less they carry great knives in their belts and are very fierce-looking we find good hotels at darjeeling it is a summer resort surrounded by the highest of the himalaya mountains and just far enough up their slopes to have a delightful climate while the plains below are sweltering in an almost tropical heat the place therefore has many mountain homes of the richer officials and foreign businessmen who live in the lowlands there are beautiful villas and bungalows with wide porches about them and also boarding-houses and hotels another place much frequented by the british is simla situated in the himalayas hundreds of miles farther west it is to simla that the viceroy and the chief officials go in the hot season and for this reason it is sometimes called the summer capital of india it is a gay city during the summer but not so in winter for then it is cold and often covered with snow during our stay at darjeeling we journey about through the mountains we ride out before day to tiger hill to watch the sun rise on mount everest and make excursions to visit the tea plantations nearby we go to the market in the centre of the town to purchase curios of the natives who come from long distances into this city to trade the men are fierce-looking fellows each of whom carries a great knife in his belt we buy odd knives and prayer wheels and also rings and necklaces set with turquoise and other half-precious stones in our excursions we now and then stop at a village the mountaineers live in low huts made of mud and stone with roofs of straw thatch and but few of them have gardens or yards we see the women cooking out of doors and watch them at their meals observing that all eat with their fingers entering the huts we find but little furniture except boxes and a few pots and pans the mountaineers are uncivilized they are mostly worshippers of buddha and are in many ways like the tibetans the strange people whom we are to visit in the next stage of our travels End of chapter 40